Today I'm wearing a stole. I don't often wear liturgical garments like this in our sanctuary and our worship services, but this was made by um, a saint in Des Moines, Washington. At the previous church I served, she made this liturgical vestments for the pastors, and it matched the garments and the vestments that was in the sanctuary itself. And as you'll see in a little bit in the scripture, I felt like it was appropriate to wear a stole today to wear something like this on our communion Sunday. So now we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. And if you have not been with us in worship for the past couple of weeks, we're in a worship series on the Acts of the Apostles. And we're just in kind of some of the most beautiful parts of the, God, the Acts of the Apostles. A few weeks ago, Stephen is stoned, and then all of a sudden, it's like people have to leave Jerusalem, and now the good news is spreading like wildfire in the regions outside of Jerusalem where Philip went last week, and now we get to pick up on Peter's story today, and it's an amazing story. So follow along on the screens in front of you, pick up a Bible, or you can search on Bible Gateway with another device for Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. Now listen to God's word. Now, as Peter went here and there among all the believers, he came down also to the saints living in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now in Hapa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Hapa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Hapa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Hapa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So just to give a bit of context to Peter's ministry now, where we're picking up on it, in Acts chapter 8, the stories in Acts chapter 8 are all about Philip's ministry. And then the very first portion of Acts chapter 9 
is about Saul's conversion to becoming the Apostle Paul, which is a profound story. And we didn't pick up on this part of his story yet in the Acts of the Apostle. We'll look at it later on in the worship series later in the summer. But we're picking up on Peter's ministry now in Lydda and in Hoppe. And so this incredible thing takes place with the Apostle Paul, and now we focus in on Peter's ministry in these little cities that are just to the north west of Jerusalem, where Peter is doing ministry. And Peter goes to Lydda, and he spends time with this person who has been bedridden for eight years, and with the simple command of, Jesus Christ heals you, get up. The man gets up. And the scripture says that all the residents of that place, and even of Sharon, start to turn to the Lord as a result of the miracle that takes place by the healing ministry that Peter is doing in that place. Some disciples here in Hoppe, which is a town right on the coast, right next to the Mediterranean, that Peter is doing ministry there, and they go find him because one of their beloved members of their community, Tabitha, or her name was also known as Dorcas in Greek, has died, and they want him to come and to see her. And so in this very gentle and sort of sad moment, Peter makes his way to Hoppe, and Tabitha's dead body is in the upstairs room, and it's surrounded by widows, and they're sad. They have these garments that they're holding in their hands that she had made for them, and they are weeping in lament. And this is where Peter enters into the space in Hoppe, and he asks them to move, to depart, to leave from that space. And when it's just Peter and Tabitha, Peter gives her the command to get up. She opens her eyes, and there's Peter, and she sits up. Word of this spreads in that area as well, and more people are turned to the gospel. Now, I don't know if you heard this, but I love the way that Luke uses transitional phrases. These stories begin with, and Peter was going about from place to place doing ministry. And these stories conclude then with Luke saying that Peter stayed at Hoppe for some time with a tanner named Simon. Not to be confused with the Simon we talked about last week, the magician, but Simon, a tanner. This is where Peter stays for a little while. The healing ministries are powerful. One of the things that I think is hard about life right now, and one of the things that I think can just be difficult and perhaps even frustrating in the midst of public discourse in our lives is the way in which we have public discourse with one another. Yesterday, I was looking at Twitter on the 4th of July on a national holiday, and I only had a few minutes to look at it, but one of the things that I observed and I noticed while I was looking at Twitter yesterday was that for many of my friends and my colleagues who are supporters of the Black Lives Matter movement and are in solidarity with it. Yesterday, they were making a lot of jokes and kind of goading people, calling the 4th of July not a day to celebrate the independence of the United States of America, but that it was like an all-countries-matter holiday as a way to sort of goad back people that had been goading them all along when they said Black Lives Matter, and then they said, no, all lives matter. So they were like reversing it and flipping it back into people's faces yesterday a little bit. And while I was looking at that, I thought, I understand what they're trying to say and what they're trying to communicate. Though it may not be that effective and it may just actually bring more animosity between people instead of bringing healing between people that need healing and understanding. But it seemed like there was just this profound animosity. 
And it seems like oftentimes in our public discourse, it's like either you are for something or you're against something. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've actually heard people say to me, Pastor, if you don't speak out on this, then it means you're for this. And it's just impossible to speak out against everything (laughs) all the time. If that were the case, then we wouldn't actually be even looking at the Scripture and talking about the Scripture in front of us. We'd just be talking about what we're against all the time. And so I just think our world of public discourse right now is really hard. We have to see people, even places, and stuff in this binary fashion of thinking about things as either good or bad. I support it, I don't support it. I'm for it, I'm not for it. Or it's all or it's some. It's just such a strange world to sort of consume these realities. And I bet we wonder when we look at it all, how do we find our place in the midst of this as a Christian? How do we find ourselves in the midst of all of these things that are happening around us in public discourse right now? Because it's right front and center. And whenever we pick up our phones, it's right there. This kind of challenging public discourse is right there. And though these stories about healings are profound in the miracles that take place both in Lydda and in Hoppe, I think there's another kind of healing that takes place in these stories that's even perhaps more profound than the miracles of the person who had been bedridden for eight years and even Tabitha who had died and had raised a new life through Peter's ministry. I think there's another kind of healing that takes place in the story. Tabitha is called a disciple. She's called a disciple. In the Greek language, nouns have um, gendered endings to them. They're either masculine or they're feminine. And in all of the New Testament, there's only one moment in all of the New Testament when the word disciple, mathetes in Greek, ends in the feminine, and it's right here. It's right here. Tabitha is called a disciple. This is a beautiful moment in the scriptures because it is through the Spirit and the pouring out of the Spirit and the new ministry that the Spirit is calling the apostles to and the disciples to that it makes possible for Tabitha to be called a disciple in this way. Some of those old categories that were you can be, you cannot be, are broken out and a new path is made forward as a result of the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those beautiful things that happens. Here's Tabitha, a disciple. She's devoted herself to good acts and works of charity in her midst. And she has cared for the widows in that city. She's cared for the widows in that city. Can't you just imagine that scene and that scenario where these women carry their, their cloths, their fabrics, their tunics, these garments that were made by her, and when Tabitha dies, they bring all of these fabrics and these tunics with them to see her because they love her, because she cared for them. There's a deep bond that's rich between them. And it's not just a love between friends, but it's a love that exists between their relationships with God between one another. Because she was a disciple, she did this because the Spirit was at work in her and wanted her to care for the widows with these garments, with these fabrics. And they were holding on to them. They were holding on to these fabrics. And it was such a beautiful thing that was happening for Tabitha and for these people. Even in the midst of a profound moment of lament and sadness, here they were holding on to these fabrics that represented to them God's love poured out for them, made through what it was that Tabitha was doing in that place. 
God was helping the people reframe the way they thought about who they were. The Spirit was doing something fresh with the people, and even that place, and even materials, cloth, fabric, in the history of the people of God, they've always been worried about worship of idolatry, worship of idols, of things. Instead, the Spirit was making fresh a new thing right in front of them, saying, yes, that's still a worry and concern to worship idol, but it also means that things like this can radiate God's glory. God can make God's self known even through a fabric or a garment that's made by a disciple, made by someone who has the Spirit at work in them. This is such a beautiful thing. And the last thing that I notice in the scripture that I think is beautiful too is that Peter stays for some time with Simon, a tanner. A tanner is someone who works in the trades of animal skins. And so oftentimes tanners were thought of as being unclean, not fit to spend time with. Uh, Peter probably should not have stayed in this person's house for any period of time, let alone a lengthy period of time. And there's Peter spending time with him. And he is coming alongside what it is that the Spirit is doing in that space. I think what we hear in Acts chapter 9 is that the Spirit makes holy people, places, and even things even our material existence. Some of these old boundaries that we used to have about in and out groups, about you have to believe this or you have to believe that, or uh, Tabitha can't be a disciple because she's a woman, or you can't stay the night at Simon's house because he's a tanner. You can't do some of these things. All of a sudden, in and through the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, a new thing is being made, shown through the Acts of the Apostles, which is that the Spirit makes holy people, places, and even things. The gospel's gonna go to places that it historically would not have of before the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This is such a beautiful thing that takes place. It's such a beautiful thing that takes place in the lives of these people, in the lives of these places, and the, even the things that they have, these tunics, these garments. God's glory can be made known. The possibility for God's holiness can emerge almost in any kind of way you can imagine so long as it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. In a little while later on in the worship service, we're going to celebrate communion together. And in a few minutes, I want to read a quote to you from Rowan Williams, who's one of my favorite theologians. He's a great writer. And he wrote this small little book called um, Being a Christian. It's great. It's tiny. You can read it in a couple of hours. I read it multiple times. I try to read it once or twice a year. It's such a good book. And one of the chapters is about the Eucharist. And I want to read this paragraph to you all because I think it communicates what we see in Acts chapter 9, that it is the Spirit who makes holy people, places, and even our material existence. So Drew, if you could put that up on the screen right now, I want to read this quote to you from Rowan Williams. No, you didn't get it? Oh, okay. My bad. Listen. (laughs) It won't be on the screen in front of you, but maybe just close your eyes And listen to these words from Rowan Williams, okay? Listen to what Rowan Williams has to say. So as we give thanks over bread and wine in the presence of the Lord, we are with him and in him seeking to make that connection between the world and God, between human experience and the divine and eternal giver. 
And that means that we begin to look differently at the world around us. If in every corner of our experience, God the giver is still at work, then in every object we see and handle, in every situation we encounter, God the giver is present and our reaction is shaped by this. That is why to take seriously what is going on in the Holy Eucharist is to take seriously the whole material order of the world. It is to see everything in some sense sacramentally. If Jesus gives thanks over bread and wine on the eve of his death, if Jesus makes that connection between the furthest place away from God, which is suffering and death, and the giving and outpouring of his Father, and if in his person he fuses these things together, then wherever we are, some connection between us and God is possible. All places, people, and things have about them an unexpected sacramental depth. I love that quote because it's so true, isn't it? That the Spirit can make possible for this connection between us and God made known. People, places, and even things can communicate this reality to us. That's why I think these stories are profound about Tabitha and the healing is powerful, but that's the real healing I think that we hear in this story is that some of the things in the past are made fresh and new and that even that fabric, that clothing that Dorcas made for them, that Tabitha made for them can communicate this connection between God and people and it's a deeply healing story for those widows It's a healing story for Simon the Tanner, and obviously it's a healing story for Tabitha in deep, meaningful ways for her relationship with God and for all of their relationships with God, and I think for our relationship with God too. I think this hopefully can be a way for us to reframe some things in our lives and to think a little bit differently. Maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe you've never thought about Uh, the Eucharist and communion and the sacrament as being a way of thinking about how the material world can have underneath it the possibility for God's glory drawing us closer in relationship between God and people. Perhaps you never thought about that, that the bread that's sitting on the table in front of you, the cup that's sitting on the table in front of you, that as we pray over that together and as you take that bread and you take that cup, all of a sudden you should begin to have a sense of thanksgiving for wherever those materials came from, for the farmers who made that food, for the farmers who grew those grapes, and they ended up on the table in front of you. And those simple elements can speak volumes about who God is to you in your life. So then if we can do that, we can begin to see people that way too. We don't have to see people as, oh, that person just believes that thing or that thing or this thing or that thing. We can have curiosity about people because we know that the God we believe in the Acts of the Apostles is working in each and every person in this world. And so we can seek out what it is that God is doing in their life. We can even think that for places too, for all the places that the gospel should never have gone because of all the stuff that took place before these stories. Now the gospel's going there and there's disciples there. The apostles are there. Good news is there. The gospel is bringing together God and people in new ways and places. And not just places, but even things, even things, even fabric, even these realities. It's the spirit who makes people, places, and even our material existence the possibility of holiness. 
and communicating, bringing God and people together. This time in the pandemic is so interesting for everybody. Everybody has a different experience. Quite literally, before the worship service, we were talking about it. The worship people from 30 feet away were asking me, how am I doing? <laughs> and I was giving them my answer, which for me, this has been a really hard time. Um, I've had a really challenging time in the midst of this pandemic. It's been very difficult for me. And for some people, I know this is sort of a joyous time. It's a time of breathing, taking breaks, having, having some space in your life. Um, obviously, for some people who get the virus, obviously, it's very challenging for them and for their family members. Some people have been evicted from their homes. Just the whole gamut is this experience. But I want to try to share uh, something particular about my story for you all in this moment, and that it's been really hard for me. And this past Friday, my family and I went to go to my son's two-month checkup appointment with our doctor. And we're sitting in the room, it's me, my wife, and my two children, and we're there in the doctor's room at PAMF in San Carlos. And the doctor walks in, and you know, a doctor's first question is always, hey, how are you doing? And my wife is so nice, she says, oh, we're doing pretty good. And then she looks at me, and I'm like, we're not doing good at all. <laughs> we're really struggling right now. <laughs> we're barely sleeping. And we just, it's really hard. I really want to just go to a playground and run around on some slides and do stuff like that and go to an open grass field. I don't know where to do any of these things anymore. So I'm having a really hard time, if I'm really honest with you. So I let her know I was having a super hard time. And it felt good, on the one hand, just to tell somebody that I was having a really hard time. It's just been tough to raise children and two small children in the midst of this pandemic with all the system changes that have happened recently. And a few weeks ago, uh, when I was in the height of some of the really difficult moments in the first couple of weeks, I walked out into my garage because I needed to pick something up, and the garage door was open. And at that time, my daughter has been picking out all of my clothing and my attire. And I was standing there in my red basketball shorts and my bright yellow Golden State Warrior shirt, and I had some flip-flops on or something. And and because it was the third week of the pandemic and I wasn't working and I wasn't on camera, I thought it might be fun to shave a mustache for a week. So I had this grubby mustache and I was standing in my garage and then uh, Jim Boso walked up outside of my house. <laughs> and I said, oh, hi, Jim. <laughs> I was very self-conscious of my attire and my appearance in that moment. I think there was baby spit up all over me too. Um, I was looking a little rough. And I said, hi, Jim, nice to see you. And he said, not, not here to socialize, just wanted to drop a present off to you really quick. And I said, oh, thanks, Jim, that's so nice. Um, one of the things I actually have been trying to do is to, to invite more um, help into my life in this time. I like to be self-sufficient, but I've tried to ask for more help. And, and that was one of those joyous moments where Jim came and dropped off a present for my family. And he came and he brought this little gift like this, and uh, afterwards I opened it up, and inside of it was this beautiful handmade blanket made by Elizabeth Boso uh, from my son, and hopefully you can see it, but it's just a beautiful, beautiful blanket, and I felt so honored that she had made this for my son. And there I was on Friday morning, having a really hard time sitting in the hospital with the doctor. And there was my son, wrapped up in this blanket in the hospital room, 
where we were having this super hard time together. It has not been an easy time, but there wrapped up was my baby boy in this beautiful blanket, in this beautiful garment, and all I could think when I was looking at him as I'd been reading the scripture was, there in Hoppe was a disciple named Tabitha who was devoted to good works and acts of charity. But here in San Carlos is a disciple named Elizabeth Boso who is devoted to good works and acts of charity. And this blanket in the midst of my hard week, my hard few months, was communicating all the beauty of God's glory to me in that moment that he was holding and wrapping up my son in this difficult time in life in the midst of this pandemic. Materials like this, blankets like this, they really can communicate God's love for you and this connection that God seeks to want to foster between him and us, between him and us. So friends, wherever you are and wherever you are in the midst of this pandemic, my encouragement to you is to remember that the Spirit makes people, places, and even material things the possibility for God's holiness to be made known to us. And maybe you might find yourselves in a place where you need something, so reach out and communicate. But you may also find yourselves like Elizabeth, a disciple, one who is a saint, and you might want to devote yourself again to some way of charity, to some good act in the midst of our community and our larger community right now in this time. And if that's you, just pray on it and consider it and let the Lord lead you as we participate together in this, in this fresh reality that we see in Acts chapter 9, that it's the Spirit who makes holy people, places, and even, even blankets, even material things like this. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, may, may you meet us in this life we're so thankful for stories like this, for Tabitha and the stories in Hoppe and Peter's ministry. And God, I just, I'm just glad that we can, we can hold lightly some of those old things of the past, of in-groups and out-groups. If you have to think this, you have to think that. But instead, when we focus ourselves on you, God, we get to see things in a fresh new sacramental way that people, places, and things have the possibility for your holiness, for your love to emerge and to communicate something meaningful and powerful to us. So God, we lift up the service to you. We lift up this time gathering with you, and we just ask that your holiness would be made known in and through this worship service and this Facebook live time together. Lord, we love you, and we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.